this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of the union, Jay, we have a union member joining us long time, not first time. Eric Peterson, welcome back. I can't even let you've been on so many episodes, I can't even list them all. Uh, what was the most recent one? Was it Southern Culture on the Skids? Was that the most recent one? Um, I was picks? also that was my last year's pick, but okay. after that, I was on the Nirvana five episode five hundred. That's right. Which uh, we're we're now on the the back half of five hundred. We're in the five sixties now. Already ch- chugging towards six hundred. It's crazy. We're gonna be we're gonna be at a thousand before we know it. So six hundred. What uh, Creed? Uh, Days of the New. Um, <laughs> oh, God. 600 should be our new metal episode since we've been oh, threatening God. it for so long. Hoobastank. I've, I've got you on 14 episodes. Way. You've been on 14 episodes, Eric. I've got you on 14 episodes. That, I have to do a check. That might be the most mm. of anybody. You're, you're Maybe. Close. I, I definitely am up there. So, how? What's what's the word? I've got seniority in the union, I guess. There you go. <laughs> you have the most PTO. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you can take off a whole week now. Yeah, there you go. You how, how, how much PTO do I need to cash in for a bonus episode? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so speaking of episodes, why don't you share, since this has been a a pick sh- shrouded in mystery you you sent it to us without the the name of the band just the just the mp3s so that we would mm-hmm. listen to it without judging it based on the band or anything around the band and then we didn't post a preview episode or preview post over at patreon so there's no there's no patreon feed patreon feedback for this well, I have been teasing it on the uh, Discord. Correct. And I think two people bothered to figure it out. Um, so I did ask if people wanted to know, and some people were of the opinion they wanted to wait. So I have tried to avoid major spoilers, but there are two people that did figure it out. Well, let me tell you, you might have fooled Jay, or not fooled Jay, but you might have um, kept him in the dark. But I, on the other hand, figured this out. Is this and where I'm- you hold up your copy of the album? No, this is where I hold up a copy of um, the book Power Ballad by <laughs> me, which features one of these songs. So here is the album. There you um, go. I, I'm just going to quickly describe the cover because I'm still teasing it out a little bit. We will get to it, folks. Or if you want to uh, read the episode title, I'm sure it will be there. There it is. Um, so this looks like what? rockabilly or i mean it's got a cover by coop who was a or is a kind of pop artist from the 90s who was maybe doing album covers for some of that underground uh nordic heavy metal stuff or hard rock stuff uh, it's got a, a girl in a plaid skirt so you know it's not necessarily ska but this definitely gives me rockabilly vibes um this is phantom blues album built to perform released by Geffen Records. So this was on a major label in 1993. And it, sitting on the hood of what looks like a 1970s Dodge uh, Dart, maybe. Uh, that's what that would be my Something guess. Like that. It's it's souped up. It's got it's got the blower through the hood. So um, it's definitely a dragster. Definitely evokes a, a particular uh, image with Most that. Definitely. So, Jay, had you ever heard or listened to phantom blue before i had never listened but i um you know i was uh i've got a lot of hours spent in the hair metal slash pop metal genre in the late 80s Mm -hmm. so this was a band that came up at some point 
I vaguely remember the name. Um, as I started to listen to it, it started a lot come back to me that I also remember them sort of being associated early on with Vixen um, or at least another at that point, like if there was women that played rock and roll, like you were like unique. Um, so I, I vaguely remember that as I listened to the record and, and some of the memories came back, but other than the name, um, I may have seen the album cover. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Coop. So at some point I may um, had seen the album cover as well, but I had never heard the band. Okay. I, however, was aware of this band because of my research for the book that I published in 2013. Um, I only listened to the song because what I was going through was people's lists of power ballads and then, you know, judging them and seeing if they fit. So I do have an entry for the song, my misery in my power ballad book, which we'll get to later as a part of our review. But so I did, I did recognize the name immediately. Like I saw, I heard the song and I was like, wait a minute, I know this. And then I went and um, flipped through the book and I was like, wait a minute, this isn't, Oh, I know what this band is. Now, what's funny is when I put your MP3s into my iTunes library, it did not give me the correct album artwork. It gave me no. the album artwork for a band called Blue Phantom and their album <laughs> Distortions, which is a very rare 1971 Italian instrumental psych rock, which is like the, the record, the original pressing of the record goes for thousands of dollars, and it was just recently repressed in the past couple of years by some indie label somewhere. So it actually ended up leading me to a completely unrelated album that is actually kind of cool because it's like this seventies drugged out, you know, psychedelic rock music, but instrumental, which I think we were having a whole thread about that, like on discord a couple of months ago about uh, psychedelic hard rock and, and seventies rock. So, uh, but that was my only real exposure. I don't know that I ever really listened to the whole record I think I probably just sought out the um, the single in order to review it for the book. So, but fun facts, I don't know if you know this, uh, Eric, but the lead singer, Gigi Hangich, I think that's maybe how you pronounce it, is from Chardon, Ohio, hmm. which is just uh, nice. a few minutes away from where I lived for a while, which was Chardon uh, Falls. Not shocking. It seems like you mentioned Vixen or... Jay mentioned Vixen. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those, the women that were in those bands actually came from the Midwest. I know that yep. a couple of the members of Vixen came, or if not a couple, at least one came from Minnesota. So, yeah. There's also some other connections um, we can talk about with this. So uh, let's do a little quick history on the band. There's, there's not a ton because uh, they only put out two records. This is their second and final record. They formed in 87... Uh, in Los Angeles, the lineup originally, which was um, Gigi, which I mentioned, Michelle Meldrum on guitar, Nicole Couch on guitar, Deborah Armstrong on bass, and Linda McDonald on drums. Uh, Deborah Armstrong left, replaced by Kim Nielsen, and then um, a when they actually signed to Geffen. They were a three guitar band for a while. They added Karen Kreutzer on guitar and then Nicole Crouch left for the years of 84 to 86 and Kim Nielsen was replaced by Rhonda Ross. And then um, they had a reunion for one year in 2009, which included uh, Tina Wood on guitar, Sarah Marsh on guitar, Courtney Cox, not that Courtney Cox on guitar. Um, a number of the members, including Courtney Cox, have gone on to play in the band The Iron Maidens, which is the uh, very proficient uh, all-female Iron Maiden cover band that has – I think they've even played Columbus and you know around the Midwest where people have, have seen them uh, nearby, and so they're pretty awesome. So their self-titled album came out in 1989, um, was released on Shrapnel Records and Roadrunner. It was, I believe, produced by Marty Friedman, who would go on to play, who was in Megadeth. And yep. then um, their second record, 
which is when we're talking about built to perform was he performed on it. And then John Norum, the guitar player from the well-known from the eighties. Um, he also played on the record. He ended up marrying the guitarist, Mil- Michelle Meldrum. And, um, they were together until he passed away. Uh, she okay. passed away. Or she passed away. Yes. Yeah. John Norum's still alive. Sorry. John Norum from, he's from Europe, the band Europe. Is he also from Europe? Yes. He would also be from Europe. <laughs> I don't know. That, Maybe. But he's not distinctive in that way. <laughs> and, and those, to be clear, those guys only each played on one song. Yes. Um, yeah, Marty Friedman plays guitar on A Little Evil, and John Norum plays guitar on Better Off Dead. And so this was released in 93 on Geffen, and then Roadrunner in Europe and Japan. Um, the producer, uh, Max Norman, on this record, a lot of credits. Uh, Megadeth's Countdown to Extinction, Extinction Euthanasia, and Hidden tre- Treasures. Um Lynch Mob's Wicked Sensation, Dangerous Toys self-titled album, Lizzie Borden, Armored Saint, Loudness. I mean, they got they got a guy who could produce this sound. Yeah. He, that's his, uh, you know, his his sweet spot. Worked on um, a number of Ozzy albums, Y&T, uh, Savatage. Is that how you pronounce that, Jay? Sabotage. Savat- sabotage. Okay. Sorry. It looks like Sav- Savage. I, pr- I pronounced it. I pronounced it Savage as a kid, and um, <laughs> mutual friends of ours have never let let it down. Is that what that? I I didn't remember that. Uh, like now you probably heard that joke, and now you're stuck pronouncing it wrong too. Right, exactly. So <laughs> before we move on, can can you? I want to I want to hear from each of you what you think the sound is, as far as the genre. The sound of this record? Yeah. Oh, we'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. But just <laughs> um, like like a, a general genre. I mean, this is not death metal. You know, no, this no, isn't no. ska. This isn't pop punk. I no, would just I, call I, this hard rock. Yeah, hard okay. rock too with some elements of metal. Okay. Yeah. Um, the production is metal like. I mean, knowing, knowing who the producer was, it, it sounds a lot like the Lynch Mob record. Okay. And not being as familiar those, with the Lynch Mob record as you, um, I still heard in the that '90s element. Megadeth stuff. Yes, it sounds like the '90s Megadeth records too. Yeah, I, I'm more familiar with those '90s Megadeth albums because for some reason I got really into Megadeth in the '90s for like two they records. Were good in the '90s, I guess so. It was just well, they were those also good in the late '80s, but I mean, yeah. Well, they had singles that I could like understand. I didn't always understand when there was like. A song, but then there was like a breakdown with a classical guitar in the middle of it and singing in French. And I, I'm like, what's going on? This isn't for me. I like a little more streamlined. So side note, the first Megadeth song I ever heard was their cover of These Boots Are Made For Walking off of the Dude soundtrack. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> wow. I can't even what's- imagine... Dave Mustaine singing that song. <laughs> it's not a great cover. No, I would it's, not it's, imagine. It's, it's far from the best track on the album. Yeah. But it's one of two covers that are on the album, and it's the second best cover <laughs> on the record. Um, there was also a compilation album that came out in 95, Prime Cuts and Glazed Donuts, uh, which featured um, covers and... Uh, previously recorded demos stuff like that and apparently so, a comic book so if anybody has a copy of that comic book i would love to see just images of it oh interesting there's a black sabbath cover on there that kind of stuff so jay tell yeah. me one thing you liked about built to perform by phantom blue Riffs, 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 like riffs of all kinds. I love the range of the guitar playing. I mean, it's all hard rock stuff, but you it covers a lot of ground. Um, you hear things on here that like nothing good starts off and it's, you know, White Snake-esque in terms of the riff. But then you've the next song is a total 
shift and that you get this harmonized, really interesting harmonized guitar melody that turns into like a drop D kind of thing that um, is more of a 90s vibe. You get some like bluesy Hendrixy things. Better Off Dead, like the riff of that reminded me of something like Grun Truck. But then you get things that are like, you know, a little bit like Guns N' Roses or vintage LA Guns, like punky, you know, but heavy, um, almost like Motorhead-like riffs, like in Little Man is a good example, or Live... playing on this is is phenomenal not just from a like technical standpoint just from a songwriting and creativity and uh tone it sounds huge um so that was one thing that captured my my attention right away the other thing was i really so i have a kind of a sweet spot for some of these bands that came up in the late 80s got a deal and sort of, I think we're probably inspired or kicked in the butt a little bit by music's changing in the nineties and you hear them. And we talked about this, like with that self-titled Motley Crue record, but there's a lot of other examples. Uh, Badlands is another example where that, what I hear in this band is, is that change in sort of environment that happened in their early to mid nineties. To me, I hear a band that it is inspired by that in somewhat you get some of the drop D tones and some of the grungy esque riffs here and there, but it also brings out kind of more of their seventies influence than I think you would probably would have heard um, on a record that came out in late 80s. So to me, I hear a lot of heart on this record, especially vocally. Um, there's a lot of choruses that are of that quality of a, you know, a heart, a seventies heart song. Um, and also just from a vocal performance, I mean, sh- the singer is uh, incredible in terms of um, range and just emotion and grit, you know, in the same way that, you know, the Wilson sisters that have this like skill, but also they're just, they can emote, right? You feel like most of the stuff that they write, like it comes across as gritty and, and um, you know, believable. So that was the other big thing that pulled me through. I mean, um, together, those things, you know, uh, combine and you get some pretty quality songs too. I, I think it's really interesting, you know, some in a band like this, you know, if it was, if it was men, I think some of these lyrics would start to veer into like stale, misogynistic, not very interesting, but I think they bring a different perspective to some of the, you know, love gone bad, um, type type lyrics that is different uh brings a different perspective to it it sounds fresher even though the subject might be not as fresh there's something about the framing and the way that they talk about it that is you know uh, has a little bit more interest to me or energy at least you know uh, just you know it, it makes the what might be otherwise lyrics that are kind of forgettable be you know kind of kind of intriguing um so overall, it's, you know, it, to me, it sounds like a, a really cool combination, hard rock album that's a combination of, you know, 70s style songwriting with a bit of a 90s, you know, flair for down tuning and here and there um, and some of the other, you know, maybe like more serious tone lyrics um, that you, you know, obviously start to hear in the 90s. So it's a, it was a pretty fun listen for me. What about you, Tim? I agree. I think I want to highlight Time to Run for just a sec because I played that song. I played the opening part for my wife, and I was like, listen to this, but imagine Chris Cornell singing. 
Yeah. She was like, yeah, this is totally like a like a bad bad motor finger or earlier style riff. And when she gets to the chorus and the she matches her melody line to the to the guitar riff. Um, yeah, it, it has a very Seattle seven, you know, 70s influence, but Seattle 90s Seattle sound or late 80s Seattle, to be honest, um, sound. I think that was what was cool about listening to this record is hearing this band, which, you know, had come up in the 80s hard rock metal scene, but then not afraid to mess around with their sound a little bit here. I haven't listened to the first record. Um, I don't know how 80s metal that one sounds in comparison to this, but I hear a band here that's evolving slightly in terms of, yes, they have the licks that could be, you know, tied to any sort of like 80s metal. Um, But like I said, with Time to Run and there's the um, Little Man, that one has just a sweet guitar riff on it that could be any number of bands. Stuff on uh, Better Off Dead had a had a grunt truck kind of feel. Um, just these, you, you could tell these were bands that maybe they were influenced by, or maybe they've been playing with that could cross between metal and hard rock and grunge pretty seamlessly. And it was really just based on what they were wearing, to be honest. Yep. Yeah. Um, Which is one of the reasons I sent this to you guys without any of the artwork or information because you you can look and see that there are photos of them looking very like late 80s glam and i didn't want that to to um prejudice your listening experience gotcha well i mean i think you kind of pick it up once you get past the first couple songs you kind of get the sense that this is one of those weird 80s slash 90s 80s bands but 90s albums that is in this weird nebulous kind of period when uh, you know alternative and mainstream hard rock and and metal were all sort of mixing into this weird stew with some bands and we've covered a lot of them um on the show and there's more to cover but you can't really from song to song what you're hearing can change in terms of whether this is this kind of band or whether this is this kind of band um luckily they got such a good sound that it makes this record very easy to listen to if you're a hard rock fan because it just sounds really good the riffs and the guitar sound great um so it doesn't it's not it's not uh burdened by sort of tinny production or or any any sort of you know things that we complain about with when it comes to 80s production style with some of the harder rock bands um, you know, this could have easily had big, booming, reverbed out drums that just sound like over the top. And that would have been a mess. That would have been bad for this. Yeah. No, the production on this is fantastic in that it's it's funny. I think if you played this for somebody now who is into hard rock, they might assume this is a new band. You know what I mean? I, there, there's something interesting about like what they're doing is actually kind of amalgamation of what rock is thought of as now. Like, I think it's really well done, but it like checks a lot of the boxes that in 2021, you would say, like, if you wrote a dictionary definition of like, what is rock music now? You know, it would not be, this band would probably fall into that pretty easily. Um, You're saying they're ahead of their time? Kinda, yeah. Um, And I think because the production is so honest and well done, like it's, it just sounds like a band. It doesn't sound overproduced. Um, it sounds like a bunch of very talented people, you know, recorded well. And, and 
that just makes it timeless. Like it's not timestamped to me with like, oh, this sounds like a late eighties record or even some of the early nineties stuff we've reviewed where, like you said, Tim, it's like over reverbed um, Mm -hmm. or tinny or, you know, fin sounding, or maybe it has drum loops or something goofy, you know, that like from the nineties, it doesn't have any of that. So it just sounds like if you told me this came out this year, you know, this is a band from Europe or something, right? (laughs) You know, I would totally believe you. Even like, like a band like Hailstorm, you know what I mean? With yeah. with Lizzie, like Little Man could be a modern ver- could be a modern rock song with mm-hmm. that riff mm-hmm. and those and that big hooky chorus. Um, there's no reason why that couldn't exist in the same world as as like that band. And there is like yep. a I feel like there is sort of a resurgence, not a resurgence, but like I tend to, and when I hear newer metal bands, because we still have a hard rock metal station in Columbus, um, yeah. I tend to be more interested in the ones that have a, a female-led vocal than oh, the yeah. five-finger death punch, like that type yeah. of stuff. Like that stuff drives me crazy. But when you hear like a hailstorm or or something else, um, those are much more interesting to me. Yep. Um, so how did you how did you come across this band, Eric? I'm sure that um, either it was they were played on the metal show at Michigan State during the 90s or their video showed up on MTV. One of the two. Um, I'm always a big fan of bands that are fronted by women uh, just because of all of the things about them having different perspective, their words carrying a different weight. Uh, You know, some of my favorite bands are female fronted bands. And when I think of somebody like 45 Grave, or I think of, you know, there's, you know, Sean Eustel from White Zombie or something. I was always looking for, to hear that perspective in rock and roll music and in punk. Uh, my all-time favorite song is uh, Legal Weapon's Time Forgot You from the Dude soundtrack. And Legal Weapon is another female-fronted band that kind of never really got their due, in my opinion. And so... When this came across the radar, I picked it up. Other, you know, Drain STH was another one that I picked up that this reminded me of a little bit. Um, you know, I, I posted this list of, of bands on our Discord that I was going to mention. So, you know, Drain STH was one, and I definitely heard the also that Soundgarden and White Zombie kind of groove and energy going on in the songs. Uh, and that's probably one of the reasons this has stayed in my collection for so long. Interesting. So what works best for you on this record? I think just it's it's got that energy and that drive and it's, you know, really well made. It's accessible. Uh, I love the vocals. You know, you we get this this woman singing, but it's not this kind of kind of girly, uh, cutesy kind of vocal. It's it's a little bit bluesy, a little bit more deep vocally. Um, The tone it's a little bit different and it's, it's definitely for me, this is definitely a hard rock album. And I also wonder how much of this was them having been pushed in that kind of pop metal direction early in the career. But once Nirvana hits, it kind of becomes a situation where the labels are a little more willing to step back and let, uh, let these bands play what they want to play, how they want to play it. Cause there's kind of a scramble to, to, you know, see what the next big thing is. And, uh, you know, definitely there were, there was a lot of bands that, you know, were able to go, Nope, this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, who knows what was going on at Geffen at the time, you know, you had, this is coming out in 93. So it was probably recorded, you know, or written in what 92, if not earlier. So, um, you get to the, the production stage and rather than be, no, no, we need that, you know, crystal clear, they're going, okay, you can muddy it up a little bit. One of the things I've observed about a lot of those, those 80s you know, pop rock bands, pop metal bands, is if you hear their live recordings, the well-done live recordings that are a little more dirty, a little more gritty, they sound a lot better than the studio records. And I think it's because they don't have, uh, you know, live, you're not going to polish off the edges. And I think letting those edges you know, sit there in the studio did a lot of good for this record. Yeah, I want to mention um, the bluesy aspect of the band and the like something about be, the way that the vocal is handled, maybe because it's 
probably because it's a woman. Um, it takes a song like uh, Misery, which is a bluesy kind of power ballad-ish song. And if you heard a man sing that with that typical like 90s Yarly kind of vocal and those lyrics, it would have a total different meaning than when I hear them sing it. And so like this being like self-wallowing, oh, poor me thing, it, it takes on a new dimension um, that just works a lot better. And, and, and it's such a simple like melody in that song, the hook. And I found myself after listening to this record the first time, like when I would turn off, that song just kept popping in my head. Like I kept, when I thought about the record, I was able to remember that hook from that song, um, which doesn't happen a lot when we review records and i think back of like what record am i reviewing right now and like i try to think of one of the songs from the record i often have a hard time doing that even though i might enjoy it and you know that's this is one of those examples of like for sure that song popped to me um and stood out The other thing I want to mention is that they they cover Thin Lizzy here, which is not always advisable. <laughs> like, I love Thin Lizzy, but sometimes when you cover Thin Lizzy, it makes me just want to go listen to Thin Lizzy. <laughs> um, and they did, I think, an amazing job of covering Bad Reputation. They use a lot of harmonized solos anyway on this record, so mm -hmm. it kind of fit in well. Um. And it's faithful to the song, but the ending's a little different. They kind of bring their own flavor to it. But it, the best thing I can say about it is it didn't make me want to immediately like start listening to Thin Lizzy like most Thin Lizzy covers do. <laughs> um, it made me want to stick with them and help me understand them a little bit better, um, which I think is a good sign of a, you know, a, a, a well-chosen cover. I thought it was a, a really good cover. I didn't like the placement of it on the record, though. I feel like putting it third was a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's where your single should go. Right. Um, yeah. In terms of stuff that didn't work, I am not a fan of the power ballad. Um, yeah. My Misery. I just feel like it's just kind of pedestrian. It has a, it has a real nice guitar solo. And I get what you're saying about having her deliver it versus, say, you know, a Brett Michaels or something like that. I I still don't. Th I think the song is fairly underwhelming, though. As it has a nice chorus, I'll, I will give you that. Um, it just didn't work for me let, as let far me, as, especially in the context of this clarify. record. It's so it such sticks out. This whole record rocks so hard. Mm. Yeah, I just didn't need it. When I when I listen to it and analyze it, I'm like, mm, whatever. I guess what I'm responding to is like, when I turned the record off and thought about the record, this song immediately came in my head, and I can't deny that. Like, okay, that's that's uh, a thing. Sure. When I objectively review it, I'm like, eh, this is an average like '80s power ballad sounding song, but it worked. I think at the same time, when you have a record that rocks as, as solidly as this one does consistently, that you need something in there to kind of break it up so it doesn't become like this wall. And I don't think yeah. this record is a wall of songs that sound the same. And this is not no. a record that is like three singles or two singles and filler either. No, this is a tight record. I mean, most of these songs, I think there's two songs over four minutes. Everything else is three minutes or like you know in the three and a half minute range uh they cover bad reputations only two and a half minutes but, i mean this is a tight record uh it comes in at 12 songs and just over 40 minutes i mean it's, it's a vinyl release essentially although 
they didn't release it on vinyl in the United States. It's only released in the Europe on the uh, Roadrunner, and you're not getting a copy of it. Because <laughs> they, pre- I mean, I got to imagine they did not press a, a ton of copies of this when it came out. This was pure. This is co- absolute CD era. Yeah, I would think for the coupe artwork alone, people are picking this record up anytime they see it. So it's probably hard to come by. Probably. Yeah, this is not. I mean, if you go to Discogs, this is not a ninety-nine cent CD. I mean, it's you're starting at like seven bucks just to get this, which is, you know, it's not like trying to grab a, a copy of uh, Cracked Roof of Your Mirror, where you got like there's a billion copies and you get them for fifty cents at any record store. Um, I would be hard pressed to like. I've I have never seen it out in the. If I had seen that cover, I know it would have stuck with me because of that artwork. I don't think I've ever seen a copy of it out in the wild. So I'm pretty sure I picked up my copy at uh, Warehouse Records, which was a chain store at the time, because that's what was right next to Michigan State's campus. I'm pretty positive that's where I got mine. Gotcha. Jay, is there stuff that Once again, work? it's a it's a Geffen release. So I mean, right. it had major distribution. And sure. you're going to get, uh, you know, whatever store is going to get it in. So I'm sure it was in Tower. I'm sure it was in those kind, kinds yep. of outlets. Uh, Jay, what doesn't work for you on the record? Not a whole lot because I'm, you know, I'm into this genre. This is one of the types of music that I just like to put on. It just makes me feel good. Um, And that's key. If you're not into um, well-polished, you know, hard rock with hooks, then this is not something you're probably going to want to spend time with or understand. So, but it hits my my sweet spot. Um, if you, if I spend time like analyzing some of the songs too much, you know, some of them aren't quite as good. Um, ain't, ain't anti-love crunch is one where like, maybe from a song standpoint, it's not amazing, but I kind of like the lyric and I like the attitude of it. Um, we got to talk about so the, even some- uh, the rap in that one, the rap <laughs> or the oh, fast rhythmic talking in anti-love crunch which to me came off as very uh, Faith No More. And I was listening to Letters to Cleo, and they also have a song that has that kind of fast. Here and now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That could turn some people off, I'm sure. There's some song that mentions Iran, which (laughs) it's like, whoa, did we just get political? But it's like real fast. (laughs) I I, I forgot which one it was. Um, Derek, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Does it lie to me? It, it does. It's, well, you know what? I got the lyrics right here. So, um, yeah, I'm not seeing that. Yeah, it's it's lights, like but. it's it's a little evil. It, it, she's singing real fast, and then all of a sudden it's fucking Iran, and I'm like, is it mean I ran the country or I ran away? Uh, but I was like, is this like an Ayatollah Khomeini kind of, uh, we, are we, is this, is this a Gulf war thing going on here? What's, what is this commentary here? That sounds like, uh, that, that sounds like an appetite era Guns N' Roses song to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. It has that vibe that, that like, I can say with all of their songs, it often does feel like they're playing characters or talking from a point of view rather than expressing their point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, especially like a little evil. I don't think they're saying that they're, they're evil. I think they're, they're a talking little evil. It's just a smidge. Well, you know, I, I think that they're, they're potentially talking about people they've encountered in the record business or just in the world and, you know, perceptions and that kind of thing. I, sure. I don't, I've listened to this record enough times. I never got a, a political vibe. I got a social political vibe, but not a partisan political vibe ever. This is not the dead Kennedys. I mean, this is right. And I, I, um, I like a little evil because I don't always want like the, um, blazing fast tempo. I like that tempo of that song that like stomp that that song has, and when she yeah, doubles yeah. her vocals with the two, like the low and high parts, that just sounds so good. Um, yeah, the the groove of that song is pretty killer. Yes. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, you can tell that this is a band of really good musicians. Um, every yeah. every aspect of this is 
is really good. Is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record, Eric? I think, I think maybe it's a little long. I think, uh, you know, maybe they chopped up one song and I couldn't necessarily pick a song. Um, you know, it, it, it does get a little, a little much after a while, but you know, if I'm playing in my car and I'm driving to work and that's 15 minutes and have eight hours of work and or nine hours of work and drive home, that's not such yeah. a big deal to me. Uh, I mean, but those are to me, minor quibbles. Um, I think, you know, this, this wasn't a debut record, but it's a debut major label record. And because we never got another one, we, we don't know what, how this would sit in maybe the, uh, the pantheon of their records. So th- there's yeah. nothing really that, that screams out at me that, that uh, doesn't work. And as I said, I've kept this in my collection since I, I purchased it in 94, 93, whenever it was, I, I found it. And, you know, there's plenty of other records that I liked, but didn't love that have, you know, been sold off or lost along the way. Did this get, uh, was there a video for this record? There is, I believe, I want to, I was just watching it, of course. Uh, let's see here. I think it's My Misery that was the single. Well, that makes sense, yeah. So that that was. Which is a terrible introduction. I mean, if you saw that you know, on. Head- we want to talk about why this. Exactly. It's just, because, um, yeah, why this didn't do better. I mean, it's 93. Mm-hmm. All right. You're getting Pearl Jam's second record. You're getting, you know even though Guns N' Roses is still putting out singles from Use Your Illusion at this point, um, man, this is a hard, this is hard to cross over from, yeah. I mean, Headbangers Ball, yeah, but then you're giving them a power ballad and Headbangers Ball is moving in the direction of like Pantera and Biohazard and, you know, really like pushing in the other direction as far as heavy and masculine. And then when we're talking about female fronted bands, we're talking whole and we're talking l7 and we're talking babes in toyland and we're talking alanis morissette which you know thematically some of these songs might fit in with but definitely not even the the image that even even from the town toned down pop metal image to more of a a, you know like a what a motorhead looking like rock rock image that's still not necessarily meshing with uh, what's going on with successful women in the music industry at this point in the, in the rock realm, at least. Right. There's a, uh, there's a video for time to run. It's like, oh. uh, the performance stuff almost it's shot almost like, uh, uh, outshined or something, but an intercut with like, you know, some kind of story, but, uh, yeah, it was so played a- on VH1. It's, it's stamped with VH1's logo. There is a promo single for My Misery. So that to, to me suggests that that was the single that they that the record company was pushing. Yeah. If you ended up on VH1 in 1993, that was not good. VHN was not the cool station. Right? It was MTV. VH1 was like uh, I can't the uncool stuff. I can't tell if this is um was played at the time or later. Gotcha. You know what I mean? It also like, could be your VH1. Yeah. Did you you're up a whole different ball game. Right. I would imagine that this probably has some sort of a following in Europe. Like if this band had stayed together, they co- probably could have kept playing in, you know, Eastern Europe and in those types of uh, places, but not in the United States. Not I, I can see that if they had been, if they had been marketed correctly that they might've been able to, to slip into the, the alternative space, but I don't know that they were. No, you par- yeah. completely different image than that you're pushing. Yeah. I don't know how you, I don't, that's, that's hard. Once those bands were established with those yeah. like original eight by 10 glossies in 1989 with the hair and, and clothing. And then you try to st- switch over. Like, you know, everybody knows like Alice in Chains started out as a different band, but there's no, there's not a lot of evidence from that well, era. Uh, <laughs> right, you mentioned, right, right, you right. mentioned Pantera already. Right. Yeah. Who also, I mean, they're and to a certain degree, you know, Mother Love Bone was pushing kind of that glammy look. And if they right. had continued, who knows how, how much they might've toned that down. Sure. 
Okay. It's time for our final verdicts on this record. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Jay, what do you say? Worthy album. And this is a good example of a, I think, a classic Dig Me Out episode. This is an album that um, it's not, doesn't appear to be on streaming. You can see it on YouTube. Um, I don't, based on my memory of the band and... I don't know that I would have ever listened to it, right? I would never came to it. Even if I came across it, I probably would have never given it a listen. Um, so this feels like a, you know, kind of a classic core episode of Dig Me Out where it's, this is something that was totally lost and forgotten. Somebody finds it, brings it to us, and no, suddenly it's, you know, it's a worthy album. Like, uh, I think this is a super fun listen. It kicks ass. Like, this is a good, like, having a bad day, like, turn this on in the car and, like you said, Eric, you know, listen to it on your commute and you'll probably get there in a better mood than when you started. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. We're the album. Uh, it's going to be fun to listen to people take this in for the first time who haven't actually had a chance to listen to the record, see how they respond to it. Um, be curious to uh, to hear the feedback. But I, th- I just, like you said, this is a classic record for this podcast in terms of or just pitch perfect in terms of finding something that sounds really good and is in indicative of such a weird era for the 90s where so many things were happening and so many different um types of music were were being released at the same time with with the intent of you know by major labels to actually do something with it this is it wasn't like this was released on some obscure only yeah. you know european metal label that was dedicated to the cause i mean this is geffen records they were already successful with lots of other similar bands so in theory they were you know ready to push this and this, there was a sea change in terms of what the audience was listening to so that's how things like this get lost to the sands of time so I'm glad we got to listen to it. Eric, go ahead. Say Worthy Album. Uh, it's a Worthy Album. Uh, no doubt about it. I, for all the reasons we, we've talked about. Um, I think it's kind of a hidden gem. Uh, I actually, a friend of mine who plays in one of my favorite 90s to current uh, horror punk bands saw me post about it a couple of years ago and checked it out. And he liked one or two songs. And this guy is very, very much into 70s rock and uh, things that... Um, things that are a little more obscure. And, and I was surprised that he even was inspired to check it out, let alone he didn't love it, but he, but he liked it well enough. And I think hopefully this is, uh, you know, something people will go and listen to on YouTube and something they will pick up when they see it in the, the CD bin. I think, um, you know, I wanted to bring a rock record. I wanted to bring a, a record that's bringing a female point of view. And I wanted to bring something that was going to have you know, a certain amount of fun, a certain amount of energy and a certain amount of swagger and groove to it. And I think that's, that's what this record does. I think you were successful. I think so. Now, now I just hope all the buildup that I, I've, I've laid on the discord <laughs> is not going to lead to some crashing disappointments, but the, the people that figured out this record and went and listened to it seem to like it. So. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I think there's a, you know, back to the classic aspect of this, for our or what we're trying to do here there's there is an audience still out there for this record that probably hasn't heard it it's not huge but you know well we uh, there are people like i know within our discord that would would enjoy it and mm-hmm. um if you like hard rock if you like 70s if you like 70s 80s and 90s hard rock like this kind of brings it all together into one so i think this is also accessible definitely still an audience out there i think yeah, that yeah. that needs to be mentioned that you know, this, as I said at the beginning, this is not death metal. You know, this, this no. is something that, <laughs> that your average, you know, music fan could potentially listen to and enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you for coming back and, and bringing us another really interesting record that uh, we got to listen to. Um, I want to remind our listeners that they can join us at Patreon, and they can become a person who suggests a record, or you can become a person who votes on a record. 
uh, in one of our monthly polls. All you have to do is just join us at digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com. That's D as in dig, M as in me, and O as in out. Digmeoutunion.com. And uh, we have polls uh, all the time for albums that are being reviewed, for our monthly uh, selections, for roundtables, all sorts of things happening. It's where you get to watch the video of these episodes. The audio goes out for free. The video, to see our beautiful, uh, you know, uh, expensive faces, you have to donate a dollar or two a month or whatever it is. Um, and uh, you, to make those suggestions, you go to the digmeoutpodcast.com website and you drop it in the album suggestion form. And that's where it goes and ends up in the hopper. And Jay spits it out into a nice nine uh, uh, grid, three by three grid of, of albums that uh, our patrons select from every month. And uh, it's also where you can read the box newsletter, which you can sign up for at the website. And you can read it at Patreon. Two new reviews every month, every every month, every week. God, I wish it was only every, every month. I'm, I'm putting in two a week. With the help of our patrons, uh, last week uh, Ian McIver put in two reviews because he's the uh, in- industrial expert. So he gave us uh, some some ministry and uh, another band, um, which is noise his, uh, noise unit noise unit. I was going to call him noise addict, but that's not the right band. Uh, Featuring members of Frontline Assembly, yes, side project band, and. Uh, always like to get people who uh who write in their reviews because then it means it's less work for me and i like doing less work i would like to do no work i would i would like an ai to take over for me so i don't have to write those reviews (laughs) can we program that jay can we program an ai to write reviews i'll just write a script and then they just plug in like the first song was blank the second song was what would tim like and what would tim not like i'll put it it would be perfect for industrial albums there you go. <laughs> uh, and if you like what you heard, uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts, leave us some positive feedback. We would greatly appreciate that. Thanks for coming back, Eric. And thank you for Not being flexible with your schedule. That's fine. Uh, when Jay lost an eye, um, that was a, a very scary experience. Uh, but he put it back <laughs> in and uh, we're yeah. all good. <laughs> they're both They're both in there now. <laughs> No more, no more playing pool with your eyeballs, Jay. I told you to stop doing that. No more BB guns. <laughs> you shoot your <laughs> eye out, kid. All right. Uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.